Happy Super Bowl Sunday journey. Great to see everyone that you decided to come to a worship experience on the big day. I just want to say out front, if anybody just spontaneously feels like they need to yell out, Omaha, Omaha, I'll, uh, I'll just take that as an amen and we'll keep on preaching. So in the, the spirit of the Super Bowl, we can just, we can roll with that around here. A couple of weeks ago at the beginning of the worship experience here, Brian shared a little bit about my oldest son that was in a ski accident. And I wanted to give a little bit of an update, but more than that, I just wanted to say thank you to so many people that uh, texted us and talked with us and just even ran into him around town and let us know that they were praying for our son. I just want to let you know that he's just, he made a full recovery as far as we know. He's back at school and it's just really fun for us. There were some really fingerprints of God moments around that whole time. We really believe that God supernaturally had his hand around our son and protected him from something that uh, could have been uh, much, much worse. And so I just wanted to say thank you uh, for being a family with us in that. That means so much to us. We're launching a new series here over the next four weeks, and we're calling this series, as you just saw in the bumper video, Through the Eyes of Jesus. And as we unpack this, we're going to be thinking about what does it like for us to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean for us to walk in his footsteps, to live the kind of life that he lived, to be the kind of person that he was, and to do the kind of things that he did? And what we believe is for us to do the kind of things that Jesus did and respond to the world the way he asks us to respond, we're going to have to learn to see the world through his eyes. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be unpacking some different stories from the life of Jesus that will help us fix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on how Jesus sees the world. And to jump in our message today, uh, I want to do a little learning activity with you. And here's the deal. Everybody's got to participate. Um, if I look out there and I see someone not participating, I will walk down there and I will invite you up here to participate from up front. That's how serious I am about participation here. Very easy to do. This is what you need to do. I just want to ask you to hold up your hand in front of you and spread your fingers. This is what you need to do. Now hold your hand out so that you can see me behind your fingers. So you can see me through your fingers. All right? Now what I want you to do right now is just focus intently on your hand. This is what you'll notice. Although your hand is in clear view, I'm a little bit fuzzy in the background. And now if I were to ask you some specific questions, and you can't change your focus off of your hand, but if I were to ask you some specific questions right now, it might be very difficult for you. If I were to ask you, how many fingers am I holding up right now? Without changing your focus on your hand, you wouldn't be able to tell me because I'm off in the distance. I'm fuzzy. If I were to ask you, is my hair parted on the left or the right? Okay, that, that was a trick question. Now what I want you to do is with your hands still held up there, I want you to focus on me. Put your attention on me. Now what you're going to notice is, although I'm in clear view, you can see me. You can see how many fingers I'm holding up. You can see that I have no hair, but your fingers are a little bit fuzzy. Okay, now you can put your hands down. There's a principle that we have with eyesight that we understand all the time. You can't focus on two things at one time. You can't focus on the things that are right in front of you and focus on the things that are in the distance, the big picture, at the same time. You've got to focus on one or the other. Friends, our lives are much the same way. We can't focus on the things that are right in front of us in life and at the same time keep our eyes fixed on the big picture as well. 
And this is what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about the things that are right in front of us, I'm talking about the circumstances of life, the day in and day out things of life. And when I'm talking about the things out there, the big picture, I'm talking about things related to the kingdom of God, things related to him and his kingdom and what he wants to do in our life and how he wants to bring his kingdom into the world through us. It's difficult to focus on both of those things at the same time. But if you were here last week, you heard Brian talk about that idea of balance. And that when we read the Bible, the Bible doesn't ask us to move toward balance between the things of this world and the things of the kingdom of God. He says, we tip everything toward the kingdom of God. We put all of our eggs in that basket or chips in that, the center of that table. That's what God is asking us to do. He wants us to be all about the kingdom of God. But I live life just like you do. And you know, it can be really difficult to think about how do we keep our focus off of the things that are right in front of us? Because there's so many things that are right here. And we've been talking about those over the last several weeks. We've got all these time stresses in our life. We've got relational stress in our life. We've got financial stress in our life. We're thinking about our future. We've got these school deadlines that we're fighting up against. All these things are right in front of us. And they can keep us from seeing the big picture behind us of what it is that God wants to do in our life. We can see the things right in front of us really clearly, but we can be completely spiritually blind to the bigger picture of what God wants to do in our lives and actually what God wants to do through our lives to the world around us. Now this isn't something that just is new to you and me in the 21st century because we live in a fast-paced society. The things that, those things that I'm just talking about, they were true long, long ago when Jesus walked on this earth as well. And we're gonna look at a story and we're gonna unpack this idea in the life of a, of a man that Jesus heals in John chapter nine. It's interesting, this story is about this man that was healed from his physical blindness. He was born blind. But as we start to unpack the story, what we'll begin to see is although he was physically blind, almost everyone else in this story was spiritually blind. They didn't see the big picture of the kingdom of God. And here's where the story starts in John chapter nine. As he went along, and that he there is Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let's just pause for a second and, and try to imagine this situation, if you could. A little. Here's this guy. His whole life has been defined by this condition, blindness. I mean, the story doesn't even give us his name. He's just the man that was born blind. And now Jesus and his disciples are walking by this man, and, this man, and the disciples decide that they're going to use this occasion to start some kind of a theological conversation with Jesus. And now just think about, just for a minute, the insensitivity of that. Here's this, this guy's life has to have been challenging because of what it was that he went through being blind his whole life. And now the disciples are using his condition as an object lesson for sin. Who, who is it that sinned? Was it him or was it his parents that this man was born blind? You're just thinking, okay, Jesus, give these disciples a little sensitivity training, would you please, that they're bringing this up? But there's one thing that we would have to understand is that that was a very, very common belief in the first century. They believed that God actually punished people then and now, real time, for their sin. 
If there was sin in their life, it manifested itself maybe with a disease or some kind of physical illness. That was their concept of God. And that's why they would ask this question, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? But Jesus, in his response, takes this presupposition that they have and he turns it completely upside down. And here's how Jesus responds. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You see, this thing that was right in front of the disciples that was keeping them from seeing the big picture of the kingdom of God and what it is that God wanted to do was this wrong view about circumstances. This wrong view about circumstances in our life. And if I had to define what I would say their wrong thinking was about circumstances, it would be this. That our circumstances are equal to God's attitude or God's love toward me. This, is, this would be their wrong thinking about circumstances. That our circumstances equal God's attitude or his love toward me. So play this out a little bit. What this would mean was if my circumstances are good, you know, my, my life is rainbows and unicorns, everything's wonderful, then that must mean that God loves me and he's pleased with me in my life. But on the flip side then, if my circumstances are difficult and they're challenging, then that must mean that God is not pleased with me. God doesn't love me. And now let's just try to play this out a little bit. If that is true, if that thinking is true, what that would mean is, is that the people that God loves the most, the people that are the most committed to him, the people that are most living out the values of God's kingdom would have easily the easiest life of any people walking the planet. If that were true, that's what we would see. But friends, you don't have to read very, very far in the scriptures to look at the people that God loves, that God uses in incredible and powerful ways. And you see their circumstances were often very, very difficult. That equation just doesn't hold up. I just think of one example. We just, let's just look at one example from the scriptures of the apostle Paul. Did God love the apostle Paul? Was God pleased with him? Was he behind Paul in the things that Paul was doing? I think we would just say a resounding yes. Absolutely he was. Not only did, he not only did God love Paul, but when we read Paul's writing, we understand Paul felt loved by God. He felt absolutely loved by God and experiencing God's presence and his grace and grace in his life. But let's just think a little bit about the circumstances that marked the life of Paul. How did Paul feel about his circumstances when he was receiving beatings with rods? Did he feel loved by God then? What about when Paul was receiving the 39 lashes? What about during his imprisonments? What about the multiple shipwrecks in his life? What about being abandoned by all the people that were closest to you? Paul understood that that equation doesn't hold up. Our circumstances did not equate in any way to how God feels about us, but it's an opportunity for him to show his power through our life, regardless of what our circumstances are. And I love how the apostle Paul summed it up. This is what he said, but he, meaning Jesus, but Jesus said to me, Paul, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, I I don't know why it is, but I've experienced much the same that Paul did. God oftentimes does his best work in my life in some of the most difficult circumstances of my life. His most refining things, his most shaping things, his most transforming things inside of my life happen through some of the most difficult things that happen to me. And so what we need to understand is we've got to look past the circumstances of our life and see the big picture of who God is and what it is that he wants to do in our life. Because if we just focus on our circumstances, the big picture, God becomes fuzzy. I want us to look at a video that Brandon sent me a couple weeks ago that uh, as soon as he sent that, I just thought I've got to show that uh, on the weekend. Let's watch Karen's story. Mark Samuel 16, 7 says, For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, living with my parents and my three younger brothers. I am blessed that I was raised by godly parents who took me to church from the time I was a baby. They taught me about God at home, too and encouraged me to learn my Sunday school memory verses every week. I was born in April of 1975 with a condition known as Dalton Horace Syndrome. It affects people in different ways, but it causes craniofacial deformities. In my case, I was born without a right ear, lung, or thumb. In addition, I am missing some of the bones on the right side of my face, including my right jawbone. I was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. I was also born with a hole between the top two chambers of the heart. Sometimes it still hurts to be different. It hurts when people laugh at me or make fun of me. Many people are unsure of how to treat me and may feel uncomfortable around me. Sometimes we tend to think that just because people may look differently on the outside, then they must be different on the inside. I'm just as guilty of this as anyone else. However, I think that if we would all take the opportunity to get to know people as they are, we would discover that human nature and emotions are pretty much the same for everyone. For example, my everyday life is much like anyone's. I get up every morning and I go to work. I have errands to run. I enjoy traveling and reading, visiting with my family and friends. Some people think that they need to walk on ice around me and never laugh or have fun with me. But I'm a real person, just like everyone else. I'm very happy as the person that I am. I'm not ashamed because I know that God created me and that he loves me just the way I am. I try to be thankful for all the things he has given me. We tend to take things for granted, myself included. 
the, the last thing I want from other people is pity because I know that I'm important to God. What did Karen see when she looked at her life? You can hear her talk for two and a half minutes. You can see she didn't see the circumstances in front of her. She saw a bigger picture. Couldn't you just hear in the sense of probably all that she's gone through in her life, the contentment that there was, and even the, the gratitude. And it just melted me when I heard her say, you know, people take things for granted, and sometimes I do too. Just this humility before God in this contentment and this gratitude. Karen saw a bigger picture. She didn't see just her circumstances. Friends, our circumstances in life don't have to be an obstacle in our life. They can be an opportunity for God and his power to show up just like it did in Karen's life, just like it did in Paul's life. Circumstances don't have to blind us from what God wants to do in our life. But how did the power of God show up for the blind man. Having said this, he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, and take note there, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. And I don't think he meant like, I'm the man. I think he meant like, I'm that guy. I am that guy. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Imagine this if you can. This guy whose life has been defined by this condition that he's had his whole life is suddenly and miraculously healed. Now, wouldn't you imagine that the people around you, those closest to you, would be in the front row cheering you on, excited about the work that God did in your life? that Jesus transformed your physical body from blindness to sight. But this man gets none of that. All he receives is doubt from the people around him, those that would be closest to him. And friends, here's what this says to me when I see that it's his neighbors and those that walk by him all the time. You know what that tells me? If they couldn't recognize that this was even the guy that was healed, it tells me they never really saw him. They never really took the time to stop and look at this man that was there. He was just cast to the side. And now when this great transformation comes, there's nobody to cheer him on. All he receives is doubt from people around him. And friends, you don't have to walk far in life as a Christ follower in this world to realize that as you walk through this world, you're going to receive a lot of doubt from a lot of people. 
that aren't gonna rejoice about the things that God is doing in your life. And quite honestly, maybe people aren't even gonna see the work that God is doing in your life. Doubt in the lives of people around us can cloud us, can discourage us, can keep us from seeing the work that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives. But God wants us to experience something very different than that. That's why when he invites us into his family, he intends for us to be a part of a family like this. That there would be people around us. There would be the antidote to the doubt that we experience from so many in our life. That there would be people around us. And you, you've probably maybe been around those kind of people. That when you're with them, your faith just grows. Your picture of God grows. It makes you want to be more like Christ. It makes you want to be more bold for the kingdom of God. God puts those kind of people in our lives that encourage us and challenge us to grow in our faith. But I need to ask you right now, do you have those kind of people in your life? If I were to press you right now and just say, take out your notes page and I want you to write down three people that are those kind of people in your life, could you write them down right off the top of your head? Do you have those kind of people in your life? And are you regularly and intentionally spending the kind of time with them where you can allow them to encourage you and challenge you in your faith? We've got to seek out intentionally those kind of relationships in our life. And maybe another question that I could ask is, are you that kind of person for others? If everyone on the planet made a list of those people in their life that encouraged them and challenged them in their faith, would your name go on anybody's list? Would your name go on your spouse's list? Would your name go on your kid's list? Would your name go on your friend's list? Are you the kind of person that intentionally seeks to bolster the faith of others around you and live the kind of life that Jesus lived through them and to them and to encourage them? We've got to be those kind of people and we've got to find those kind of people in our life. Because friends, honestly, this, we're, we're, what we're doing right now here, this is the easiest place on the planet probably to be a Christian. For the most part, you are just surrounded by people that love God. They're here because they wanna learn about God. They wanna worship God. This is the easiest place in the world to be a Christian. But even if you come here every week. And even if you're one of those couple dozen people that actually get here on time at Journey, we're a late crowd. My family's the worst. But even if that's true of you, that's 75 minutes a week in an environment like this. Friend, we've, friends, we've got to have those kind of relationships outside the walls that we call Journey here, where we're engaging one another, intentionally building into the lives of one another. But Jesus wants us to know that there's more things than just circumstances and doubt that can blind us from seeing who God really is. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, meaning it was a Saturday. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I was washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. 
But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Now you would think that as the kingdom of God is breaking through and they're seeing God do miraculous things through the life of Jesus, that the religious leaders of that time would have been the first to recognize that this is God at work. But these men were blinded by something. There was something that blind, they were blinded by religious rules. Now here's the reason that they were discrediting Jesus. They said, he can't have done this because he did this on the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now we know that the Sabbath was the day that was set apart for the worship of God. And the rule was, we don't work on those days. And now get this, here is the work that Jesus did. Understand this now. It was the making of the mud was the thing, was part of it that got them all in a tizzy. Here's, what, here's why they called that work. On the Sabbath, if you were walking along, if you were gonna spit, you could spit on a rock. But if you spit, you could not spit in dirt. Because if you spit in dirt, that was making clay. And making clay was how they made bricks. And that could be construed as work. And now you're thinking to yourself, are you kidding me? Here's this guy that had been born blind. This miraculous thing happens in his life. And the religious leaders are going to try to discredit this based on a technicality. How in the world could they be so blinded by religiosity and rules? Friends, I absolutely believe that we can do the exact same things. We can create these little boxes that we want to put God in and just say he can only fit in a box this size. That and that alone. We can be blinded by religious rules. Now I'm going to say something that might just sound a little bit controversial at the outset, but give me a minute before you throw me out of here as a heretic. I don't think Jesus is as concerned about the rules as some of us are. I really don't think he is. I think he's got a bigger picture in mind. I think Jesus cares about our heart. He cares about what's going on underneath us. Because if we just focus on the rules, that our faith becomes, these are the things that I do and these are the things that I don't do, and maybe you are that person, or maybe you've experienced those kind of people. I know that there's times that my faith has been reduced to that. And then I find myself at that place where, honestly, I'm just going through the motions. There's not a heart response to a great God that wants to know me personally. I just find myself going through the motions. And the problem is, friends, is that when we get to that place where we've just got the rules in front of us, we miss the picture of God, and we miss the greatness of the gospel and what it is that God wants to do in this world. And the big thing that God wants you to understand is what matters to him more than the rules is he wants you to live out a covenant relationship with him that is very personal, that is very real, that is very intimate in every way. He wants us to have a covenant relationship with him. And I'm gonna unpack a little bit of a drawing here, but I wanna read a scripture to kind of help inform what it is that I'm going to explain here. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 gives an understanding of a big aspect of the gospel. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. He says, for it is by grace, it's by grace, friends, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift 
of God. And it is not by works so that no one can boast. Now I want us to understand this, this idea of this covenant relationship that we're talking about here, that Paul is talking about here. The Father, our Father, our Dad, God himself, bestows upon us an identity as his children. It is by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace, it's by this gift that God gives us, this identity as sons and daughters of his. And then our obedience to him flows out of our worship and gratitude for what it is that God has done in giving us this identity. It's this father that bestows this identity that releases us to be obedient out of a heart that's grateful for what he's done. Friends, this right here is what Paul is talking about when he says grace. This is the gospel, this is grace, and this is what brings life. Us living out of this identity as the son or the daughter of the king, and because of that, living in obedience. Now friends, we could try to do this triangle the other way. And we can say, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna create my identity by being obedient. I'm just gonna focus on the rules, and if I just keep all the rules, then Jesus and God will give me that identity that I want as his son or his daughter. This, my friends, is what the Bible calls the law or religion. And this leads to death. Now, earlier I said, I don't think Jesus cares about the rules and I don't want anybody tweeting, yeah, journey, they're so soft on sin. They're saying that you can just do anything you want. Not true. Obedience matters to God. Absolutely, it matters to God. But why we're obedient matters infinitely more to God. He wants us to be obedient because of who we are, that we are living out of the reality that we belong to him. He's our dad. We want to please him. We want to be a part of what he's doing in the world. We don't want to just be out doing our own thing. We want to be a part of that. But this says my obedience will create that identity for me. And that he doesn't want us to be obedient, to try to create something because he says it's not of yourselves. It is a gift from him. Obedience matters, but why we're obedient matters infinitely more to God. Jesus wants us to understand that. He wants us to live out of that covenant relationship with him and not just be focused on the rules, not on what do I do, what do I don't do, but out of that covenant relationship with him. But if we're focused on the rules, we can miss it. Friends, we can just miss it. And as we finish, there's one more thing that Jesus talks about that can blind us. It says the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now, when I read that, I almost just picture them standing like this. Like, well, we know he's our son, and we know he's born blind, but I don't know that I'm going to get out on a limb and jump on this Jesus train right now, because I don't know where this train's going. But his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already, the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
There was a lot at stake for them to acknowledge Jesus, to acknowledge who he was and what he did. There was the chance that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. And friends, that was a big deal back then. This was their whole social life. It's not like here, if something happened here at Journey, you can just go down the street to another church. That's not the case, friend. This was their whole life. Am I gonna go on record as being a Jesus person? And they were gripped with fear. And fear caused them to not see the big picture of what it was that God was doing. Fear, friends, can be such a crippling agent in our life. It can keep us from seeing what God is doing and even being willing to be involved in what God is doing in the world. A good friend of mine, when we were in college, uh, he was a football player, and there was another football player named Joel that had been really influential in his life, that had communicated the gospel to him and discipled him, and was just a, just a dynamic follower of Christ and was pouring into my friend, Bill. Well, one day, my friend Bill was in the weight room uh, up at MSU working out with another football player. And this other football player turned to Bill and he said, Bill, you're a Christian, but you know what I like about you? What I like about you is that you don't talk about it the way that Joel does. That ate my friend's lunch because he knew the life that Joel lived. He knew the impact that Joel was having in the lives of other people. And everything in him wanted to have that same kind of impact, but he knew that it was fear in front of him. What are people gonna say? What are they gonna think? Am I gonna fit in? Am I gonna miss out? Fear kept him from being involved in what God was doing. And that comment haunted him. And that comment really changed the trajectory of his life. He just said, I am not gonna spend the rest of my life being an undercover Christian. I'm gonna make a difference with my life. And it's just amazing. I wish I could even just have my friend Bill here, the influence that he had for the rest of his time in college. And he's a football coach over in the state of Washington, really successful. But anyone that would know Bill for even an hour would know that Jesus is the most important thing in his life. He's one of the most outspoken people for the kingdom that I know. But there was that day when fear was gripping him. And every one of us has to ask that same question. Am I gonna let this fear in front of me be the focus of my life? Or am I gonna drop that and see the big picture of what God wants to do in my life and be available to God? You know, we look at this scripture and we just see all these things that were blinding people from seeing God, from seeing the kingdom of God the way God intended for them to see it. And we didn't talk about every one of the things that could be in front of us, did we? You probably have your own. Friends, one of the first steps that we need to take is that we need to take some time before God and just identify what are those things for me? What are the things that I am so focused on that are keeping me from seeing the kingdom of God? How do we begin to drop those fingers that are in front of us and begin to see him clearly? I wanna try to, in the last couple of minutes here, just answer the question, what's the first step that we take to do that? How would, I, how would I start to do that with my life? And friends, what it's gonna take is a change of focus in our life. We're gonna to have to change what our eyes are focused on. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, at the very beginning of chapter 12, gives us some insight onto how to do that. It says, therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just throw off everything that hinders, throw off the sin that entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But then let's take a little focus here. He says, this is how we do it. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want to take just a minute here to think about what the author says right there. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus was heading toward the cross, one of the most challenging things that he would ever face in his life, the abandonment of his friends, the physical agony that he was going to walk through, and infinitely worse than either of those was the fact that he was gonna bear the wrath of Yahweh for the sin of the world. He was gonna be separated from the Father for the first time ever. But Hebrews tells us that as he's looking at that, all these difficult circumstances that are staring in the face, that he saw through those circumstances and he saw something else and it gave him joy. It said, for the joy set before him, he did that. What was the joy that Jesus saw? Friends, the joy that he saw was you. The joy that he saw was me. He saw through the circumstances of what the cross was going to mean, and it was gonna mean that it was gonna create a way for you and me to have a relationship with him that was gonna last forever. So even in the midst of the most difficult thing that he would ever face, it says that he walked into it with joy. Friends, this is how we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on him because he was the one who fixed his eyes on us, and it gave him great joy. I wanna just ask you to put your things aside and we're gonna take some time to go to prayer and I just want you to sit before the Father and I just want you to ask him one question. The Father who loves you and wants to speak to you, would you ask him, Father, what is it that is in front of my life? What is the hand in front of my life that is keeping me from seeing you? God, what needs to be removed from my life to allow me to be able to see you clearly? Jesus, we, we need you. 
Jesus, we need you to reveal things to us. We need you to show us those things in our life that are standing between us living out the deep realities of a covenant relationship with you. Jesus, by your grace, would you be willing to not only show us those things, but would you help us remove those things? Jesus, we wanna be obedient to what Hebrews says. We wanna throw off everything in front of us that is hindering us. We wanna throw off the sin in our life that is entangling us. Jesus, we want to run with perseverance the race that you have for us, not our own race, Jesus. We wanna run your race. But Jesus, we've got to do that with our eyes fixed on you. Would you help us to do that? Would you show up in your power? Would you heal us of our spiritual blindness? And it's in your powerful name that we pray.